Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning from a sunny Johannesburg. I am Adol Kozilski and this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show and always together with me is my fave. Hello, Fagy. <laughs> Hello, Adol. How are you? Good, good, good. Thank God. All well. We are going to be continuing on our discussion about emotional and mental um, well-being today. And we're going to be having a fascinating discussion. If you're a mom, you've got to stop your car, pull onto the side of the road, or stop what you're doing. Or maybe put in some earphones and do what you're doing, but listen up to us. We're going to be talking about our kids, okay? And really, there's a lot going on with Kids, parents tried their, their damnedest to get their kids to do their best and to really step up to the plate. But today we have so many neurodevelopmental disorders like ADHD, dyslexia, autism, auditory processing, etc., etc. And whilst there certainly is a place to get specialists on board, sometimes we need to think a little bit more out of the box and see what are the causes of this that will help us help our children help themselves to overcome their difficulties. Today, we are going to be speaking to Nissi Cohen, who is a speech therapist and audiologist. She qualified in 2012, and after completing her year of community service, she spent four years in private practice, and now for the past five years, she has been working full-time at Bella Vista School, and she has a special interest in these disorders, and we are going to be chatting to her today on all of what we've just uh, mentioned. If you'd like to join the conversation, 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019 is our telegram line. Without further ado, good morning, Nissi. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for joining us. Yes, indeed. Okay, so Nissi, maybe... maybe, um, Help our listeners understand, you know, you're qualified as a speech therapist. And I think a lot of moms out there understand, I don't know a Jewish mom who hasn't sent the kids for speech therapy. Okay, because we all all want them to be eloquent when when, when they grow up. Where did you come from, from having your your teaching from university, what, what you've learned to where you've come now? Where did you see gaps and how did you shift in your thinking? Uh, okay, so there's a few parts to that question. I'll start off with what do we actually do as speech therapists? And then that will give you a better idea of how I ended up becoming really passionate about brain health. So what we do is we work with children and adults and target many different areas, like language, auditory processing, speech sound production, respiration, swallowing, voice, speech motor planning, working memory, reading skills, social skills, the list goes on. So there are quite a few areas that we work on. But in order to achieve success in any of the these these areas, the brain is required to receive and send messages effectively. So we cannot separate the child and their speech and language from the child's brain. And I, when I say child, it's because I work with children, but there are many speech therapists that work with adults. But for the purpose of this talk, I'm probably going to be referring to children 99% of the time. So children need brains that are healthy, that are functioning effectively in order to be able to achieve all of these skills. And so it's my job as a speech therapist to care about the health of the 
of the children's brains. So that's that's kind of a, an introduction. And most speech therapists do consider what is going on in the child's brain when they're working with them, but not, you know, only to a very small extent. And mostly what we're working on is what we see going on externally. We look at how is the child producing the speech sound? How is the child reading? How is the child processing what they're hearing? But we don't always actually look deeper and say, what is going on inside their brain? How are the connections inside their brain? How are the neural connections? How are they processing information in, in general? What is their body doing? How is their body perceiving the various senses? And how is the, the brain integrating what they're perceiving through their senses? So there's so much more to the, to the child than what we, you know, than what we see on the surface. And I really am passionate about this because if we understand what's going on in the brain and how we can improve the brain function and the brain connectivity, it will make such a big difference to our intervention. So what do you then consider health in a child? Like, is it the foods that they're eating? Is it no eating sugar? What exactly would you say is considered the health steps that you would take? So that's a great question because when people think, oh, my child, you know, I want my child to be healthy. The first thing they think of is a healthy diet and their child not having sugar. And health in children is so much more than just a healthy diet, although that is, of course, important. And I'll speak about micronutrients later on. But if we want to know about a child and their health and their well-being, we have to look at their internal and external world. So first and foremost, does the child feel safe and loved? And then we want to look at other aspects, such as how are they perceiving the world around them? And Dr. Stephen Porges actually refers to something called neuroception. I'm sure you guys have heard about the polyvagal theory and Dr. Stephen Porges, who developed it. Incredible man. And he talks about neuroception, which is how the brain perceives the world around it and whether it's safe or not. And that is the most important thing we need to actually consider, because if a child perceives the world around them as not safe, they will not be available for learning. Their communication will be impaired. They will not be able to, you know, have as much eye contact. They will be shutting themselves off from the world around them just to go into a state of survival. And, you know, the fight or flight concepts are, you know, such a, a trendy concept at the moment and everyone's talking about it, but it's for good reason. It really is so essential to make sure that the child is out of the fight or flight response and into a state where they feel safe, where they're able to what we call attend and befriend or rest and digest. If they're not in that state, then we really can't um, achieve what we want to with them. So um, just to add to that, when we look at health, we also want to look at the child's relationships, their relationships with their friends and family, the community around them. Is there a sense of social connectedness that really is so vital to the health of a child? We want to look at the water that they're drinking. Are they exposed to nature? Are they exposed to sunlight? Are they sleeping well at night? What is the quality of their sleep? What is the quality of their, uh, of, of their, or how is their, um, brain and their nervous system able to cope during times of stress? So you can see that health is so much more than just eating a healthy diet. Okay, so we're speaking to Nissi Cohen. She is a speech therapist. We're talking about children in particular. I guess it would have repercussions on adults as well. 
And even though, you know, at the, at the call face, we are being confronted with speech issues, as mentioned, we do understand now that we need to take a step back and try to trace where and how we came to the position where we need speech therapy. If you'd like to join the conversation, 34519, if you'd like to ask our guest a question, 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. So, Nissi, what what does a healthy lifestyle do in terms of improving children's brain development? Like, what what is the what's the ultimate goal? Is it better grades, better focus, improved reading? So, I'll actually start off with answering the second part of your question first. What is the ultimate goal? <clears throat> so. Obviously, I'm speaking for myself, personally and professionally, what my goal is, but I know a lot of speech therapists and OTs would agree with me here, that the ultimate goal isn't necessarily better grades or better marks, okay? Not all children are going to be doing well academically. What we really want to do is improve function, improve their participation at school, in the classroom, at break time, at home, in general life, at, you know, at shul or in the greater community at events. So what we're really trying to do as therapists is improve function, improve their confidence, improve their interaction with others. We want as parents to raise children who are resilient, who are creative, who are problem solvers, who are resourceful, innovative, compassionate. Those are really important traits that we want our children to have. So at the end of the day, we don't need all children to be good readers or to get good marks or to, you know, speak absolutely perfectly and eloquently. We want children to live lives that are fulfilling for them within their family and within the greater community. It sounds like from a lot of the things that you're saying, though, is that it's it's almost like the stress aspect is so huge that – any time that a child is in fight or flight, that their environment is, is a stressful environment, that when they go to a, a community event or a shul or a school, that they aren't able to connect with children and they aren't able to connect with peers or teachers, that they don't feel safe and calm within themselves, that it's the stress that's kind of having an effect on their brain, which then in effect will have an effect on everything else. Yes, absolutely. And so that is so connected to our goal because our goal at the end of the day is to help them to feel safer so that they can engage socially. And not all children are going to do well with crowds. You know, a lot of adults, a lot of us, a lot of, you know, a lot of adults don't enjoy necessarily being in crowds all the time and we do better with one-on-one or with smaller groups. So that's not necessarily so concerning. But if we see a child who is really struggling in general, even when it's a very peaceful and quiet environment with a small group of people and they're really struggling to engaged we can't only look at oh do they have social skills and try and work on those social skills we have to actually look at their neuroception how are they perceiving the world around them and if they're perceiving the world around them as threatening they are going to shut off and they're not going to be able to socially engage and so that's one of the biggest things we can do in terms of a healthy lifestyle is really working on that sense of safety and going back to the polyvagal theory where we actually activate their vagus nerve and do activities that uh, this is more of a bottom-up approach, meaning the, the way the body perceives things and the way the senses perceive and then send those messages to the brain that we want to get that child feeling safe and feeling secure. So how can we do that? 
So, so one of the ways we can do that is providing sensory experiences that are more pleasant. So, for example, at Bella Vista, they've actually taken away the school bell because they found that it, it induces such a sense of um, almost panic and stress, which I loved that idea that they did. And it's not always practical, but it's just one little change that a school can make. Another example is um, having not so many distractions, whether it's at a house or at an event, having not too many visual stimuli for the children to have to process, bringing it kind of to a more minimalistic and uh, simplified environment so that the child can really focus on engaging rather than trying to process all of this, these, these sounds and these sights around them. Well, that, um, that, that just on that, if I can pick up, like, gee, you know, today I think as a society, from, 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 from the youngest children to the oldest adults, we're suffering from that. Like the amount of visual, auditory mm. stuff that comes our way through, through the iPads and the computers and the mm. cell phones and, the, and, and, and what's going on outside and, and, and you're all over the place. It, it really is affecting the, you know, I was discussing on, on, on the weekend with my family and we were just, you know, laughing about post COVID, like how we behaved in COVID. And, um, you know, my children, particularly who are all parents were just saying like what a nightmare it was trying to educate their kids through, 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 through the, you know, mm. the, the technology that was provided. It was a necessity. I think there were, we were debating the pros and cons and there are mm. pros. Mm. But the cons, like some of the kids were just bouncing because they actually couldn't handle the, the, the amount of stimulus that was like coming their way. Yes, it was absolutely. Like every single day. Yes. And when it comes to iPads and technology, it's absolutely inevitable in this day and age. And we can't, you know, if, if we're trying to, um, you know what, we just have to embrace it. But at the same time, we also, and we, we have to realize that there is a time and a place for iPads and technology and the gift that it's going to give our children is absolutely incredible in terms of how quickly they can access information and, and, um, get, you know, if they want to share their own voice, that they can do that. And so it's such a gift. But if children are stagnant and sitting on iPads for hours and hours, we as parents can just t- do one small change and that could be taking them for a walk outdoors um, in the afternoon before supper. And so one one small act like that where you take them for a walk outdoors has so many benefits. A, you're exposing them to sunlight. Sunlight is important and, and not only sunlight for the warmth and for the light, but also it's important for the child's circadian rhythms. So getting them exposed to sunlight in the afternoon is so essential. Then it's the connection and the bonding with the family members. It's the movement. Movement, and it doesn't have to be exercise. It doesn't have to be running, but movement is so important. Scientific studies have shown that movement increases lymphatic drainage, improves blood circulation, improves mood, improves detoxification, improves, um, you know, uh, tissue oxygenation. And we want our children's tissues and, and cells and organs to have oxygen, especially their brain. So there's so many benefits. Go for a quick 10 to 15 minute walk. And that in itself um, really um, achieves so many goals that we want for our children's health. So kind of like to de- de-escalate the, the, the stimuli and bring the body back to 
like a place of stillness, of quietness, of, of, of the ability to engage. I, exactly. I think what you're saying is, is, is very applicable to, to adults as well. You live a frenetic life during the day. You're engaged in 120 million things. Hmm. And there has to come a point in time, you know, in your day where you're able to say, right, I'm drawing a line. I'm switching off my phone. You know, I'm engaging with myself. I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm you know, I'm going outside. I'm breathing fresh air, you know, and, and recentering oneself. Otherwise, one just goes, goes all the way to bed. You know, um, yes. you're doing whatever you do, you're doing, and then you you have disrupted sleep, and you start a cycle that that is really not. I think it's also so interesting. I was I was at soccer the other day with my son, and speaking to the mothers over there about extramurals, and I feel like in South Africa, especially as moms, we're literally running all day, every day, from one extramural to another. I think in other countries, children are a lot more outdoors, meeting each other, walking, and in a way, I was saying that I would love <laughs> to be able to take my kids from one place to another to get them moving, go to swimming, go to soccer. Obviously they're not going to go all day, every day, but just to keep them out of the, of like, and away from technology all the time, obviously it's not so healthy to constantly do so many extra murals, but like you say, to, to have a lot of all that movement and to be socializing with friends. And I mean, my child is a completely different child when he comes home from soccer. Yes, absolutely. And I also think that going back to the poly, like going back to the polyvagal theory and the sense of safety, being outdoors, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's playing soccer, whether anything that these children are doing is so much more beneficial to their sensory experience than being indoors with bright lights and with screens and with, you know, it's very clear. We can see it anecdotally. And there is scientific evidence that being outdoors, being in nature, being exposed to grass and trees and sunlight is a much more beneficial sensory experience. What else can schools do to help us? So I think that, um, you know, I know it's difficult to, to change a whole school system. I think obviously starting off small with baby steps is the best way. So trying to reduce kind of um, unpleasant, unnecessary sound as much as possible that could... Um, you know, induce a sense of, of, uh, fight or flight in the children. Bringing in, bringing in possibly more breaks during the day and more movement opportunities. I really think that schools are so, under so much pressure and I get it. They really want to just get the curriculum finished. They want the children to get the grades. They want to get the results. They want to help the parents to feel like the, you know, that the, they're actually doing their job. But at the end of the day, they're going to get so much further with the children if they allow them to have brain breaks, to have um, sensory experiences that are um, actually helping their brain connections and their neural connections to grow. They're going to so become so much more resilient and and they're going to love learning so much more if their day at school is filled with movement with play with sensory experiences such as you know you know when when they have to learn it's often with pen and paper but if we can bring in more multi-sensory experiences such as playing with uh, play-doh forming letters out of play-doh little things like that um can or you know writing letters in in a in a in a sand pit little things like that can make such a huge difference um, and then also just for teachers, you know, teachers are so overworked and we don't want to give them anything more that they have to do. But just trying to encourage them to create a sense of safety and, and relaxation in the classroom. So whether that's putting on some music that's that will help the children get into a more relaxed state, 
or just, you know, lowering their voice, but really, uh, you know, just making eye contact with the children, giving them a smile, it really makes a huge difference. Let's talk a little bit about neuroplasticity. Like, uh, you know, where does that fall? Like, how does that help? Does it help with resilience? How do you, how do you change a, a kid's brain? Mm. So neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to change. And it's a very exciting concept. And we know that children's brains can change, but we haven't actually up until recently realized the extent to how much they can change. So if a child is really struggling with listening, with self-regulating, with reading, or with focusing, in the past, we thought that that was just them and we wouldn't be able to change them. But research has shown that you're working on certain skills and helping them build connections in their brain really can completely change their brain. And they can go from being a struggling learner to a really successful and happy learner. So how do we achieve neuroplasticity? So going back to before when I was talking about movement, movement has actually been shown in studies that have been published to improve neuroplasticity. Movement actually drives neuroplasticity. And that means that when a child is moving, whether it's during their learning experience or, or before and after their learning experience, it really helps those connections to form in their brain and the correct connections to form. So our child's brain is not just a bucket that we want to fill with knowledge. Our child's brain is almost like a city. We want to build roads. We want to build highways. That's how we want to build their brain. And so when we want to achieve neuroplasticity, and building networks and building connections in their brain to help them become really happy learners and to help them thrive. We have to, we have to get them to be moving in the correct, you know, um, we have to be really looking at the bigger picture and see how we can really nourish them with food, with correct, you know, with making sure that they're sleeping properly with the, with the movement, with a sense of safety. And that will really help to achieve neuroplasticity. And when we're able to do that, the children become more resilient. And and so resilience in life in general is about being able to bounce back from stress. And resilience in the brain is being able to bounce back from stress as well or from an injury. And that is, or, or from, let's say, a, a learning difficulty. If the child is able to form connections in, in, in the correct areas of the brain and integrate their left and right hemispheres and integrate all the different um, sensory experiences that they have, that really will help them to become more, more resilient and better learners. Okay, so you've spoken a lot about the, if I can, if I can use this term, the psychological state of a child that, that they have to feel safe. You know, that, that they've got to, they're not to have the fight and flight mode. You've spoken a lot about movement and I think it's like ringing out very loud, um, you know, a loud message out there that we have created an environment where today, you know, knowledge is king and, you know, it, 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 who, who's held on the pedestal? The kid that's getting the eight distinctions. And again, great if you've got the eight distinctions. But, you know, there's a lot of people underneath that that are not going to manage to do that. And it kind of like affects self-esteem and affects the way, you know, um, one is trying to function. I think now we, we need to explore the food and the micronutrients mm -hmm. and, you know, how that is actually feeding into the system. 
If uh, any listener would like to ask a question of Nissi, our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram is 0618-895-1019. Got a couple of minutes before we go to our next break. So let's have an introdu- introduction into food and then maybe also more specifically then into micronutrients. Okay, great. So you, yeah, um, I'll just start off and then after the break, I'll, I'll elaborate. But uh, when we think of food, we think of, oh, is my child eating enough vegetables? Is my child eating too much sugar? Nutrition is so much more than that. Nutrition is, is our child getting the macronutrients and the micronutrients? Macronutrients are things like fat, protein, carbohydrates. Micronutrients are the vitamins, minerals, and essential fatty acids and amino acids that the children need. So, for example, minerals like zinc and magnesium, we hear about them all the time. You have mentioned it many times on your show. But we don't realize how much, for example, zinc can affect can affect um, the child's brain development. And I'll go into, into more detail after that break. Okay, and just before we go to a break, a reminder that Peggy and I run a WhatsApp group and we just drop a little thought every single day on, on different aspects of health. If you would just like to get that little bit of motivation, it's not spammed. We don't, we don't drive you insane and it's admin driven. Um, you can send an email to info at highfm.com. Give us your name and your cell phone number. Of course, you've got to be on WhatsApp and we will gladly join you. And on, on that forum, we always, um, you know, encourage our listeners. If there is a topic that you would like to explore more out of the box, trying to understand the why, not only the what, let us know and we will try uh, help you out there because it's a learning curve for us as well as as much for you. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Okay, so let's let's understand the macronutrients, micronutrients and what, what would be optimal for a child. Okay, so as I mentioned before, zinc, I'm going to go through a few of them that are really beneficial for children's brains, but I'm only going to have time to to really go into detail with maybe a, one or two of them. So children need magnesium, zinc, choline, iron, iodine, B12. There really is a long list of, of new, uh, micronutrients that children need. And this doesn't just come from vegetables. That's the thing. You know, we, we pressure ourselves to give our children so many vegetables. And unfortunately, that's not always possible. I speak from experience. I've got a very, um, I've got a 16 month old who's a very fussy eater. And it's actually been the biggest gift for me because it's actually taught me how to work around it, how to, to really, um, get other nutrients in, in other ways. And so, um, even things like, whole wheat pasta and bread, unless you're intolerant to gluten, of course, oats, beans, lentils, uh, meat, chicken, and fish, all of those things are so full of micronutrients. So let me just talk about zinc because it's one that I really feel is such an interesting one. And uh, the science geek in me is going to come out over here, and I'm sorry if it gets too technical, but I really love the fact that there is a neurochemistry basis for this. It's not just, oh, your child must eat healthy. So let's talk about zinc. So we all know that zinc helps mood, helps it enhances beautiful skin, it helps with wound healing and a healthy immune system. But zinc is actually also an essential mineral for the brain, particularly for attention, memory, and processing. So zinc helps the body convert B6 
vitamin B6 into its active form. And as a result, the body is able to manufacture neurotransmitters like serotonin. Serotonin is vital for executive function, social behavior, and mood regulation. And zinc also helps the body and brain absorb omega-3s and essential fatty acids. And we've heard over the years how important omega-3s are for brain health. So if you're not absorbing them properly, then you're not going to get the full benefit. And zinc has also been shown to regulate production of dopamine. That's also such an important neurotransmitter. Neurotransmitters, uh, just for people who are not sure what that is, are chemical messengers in the brain. And we wouldn't be able to do anything without them. So zinc helps to regulate production of dopamine, which is connected to mood and focus. And unfortunately, based on the research, zinc is one of the most common nutritional deficiencies. So we wonder why there are so many children with dyslexia, ADHD, and even children who are picky eaters. And zinc is so connected to all of us. Having said that, I do believe that there is a place for medication, and I've seen many children benefit greatly from medication. So I'm not saying that your child doesn't need to be on medication for focus or anxiety. I think that that pediatricians have an amazing role to play and have helped so, so many children. But we also can't detract from how important it is for these children to have the correct nutrients. Nutrients, like especially minerals, are like the raw materials that the brain needs in order to actually develop. So in the case of zinc, what would you say? Take a zinc supplement, give a kid a a zinc supplement. So that's also, so that's also tricky because zinc can be toxic in high amounts. And therefore it's, you don't go and ask a friend (laughs) to, Mm. to advise you on a zinc supplement. Go and work under the, the care of a healthcare professional, a doctor or a pediatrician who you trust. But, but also you don't need to necessarily only get it from a supplement. There's also lots of different foods that contain zinc. For example, um, we, you, seafood isn't kosher, but people who don't mind, seafood is a great source of zinc. Then there's chickpeas, hummus, sardines, eggs, liver, meat, poultry, chicken, mushrooms, pumpkin seeds. I mean, a, a salad with roasted pumpkin seeds is, is really delicious. Or you could even put it in the blender and add it into the child's food. Seed crackers, all of that contain zinc, and that is really, really great for the child's brain. Okay, we've got another five minutes. Choose another one of the most important macronutrients that you you feel um, you know we should bring to our attention. Okay, so um, one more macronutrient could be choline. So we all, um, so people who have taken a prenatal supplement will recognize the name choline. It's so important. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics have listed it as a crucial nutrient during pregnancy and early childhood. So choline plays a role in cell membrane development, and it's used by the body to produce acetylcholine, which is also a neurotransmitter, a brain chemical messenger that is responsible for so many important functions such as muscle control, mood, memory, thinking, and learning. So let's talk about what kinds of foods have choline in them. Eggs are high in choline, beef, poultry, salmon, saltfish, potatoes, Brussels sprouts, avocado, broccoli, cauliflower, leafy greens, quinoa, peanuts, peanut butter, edamame beans, and lentils. So you see, it's not just, oh, your child needs to eat vegetables. It's so much more than that. And you see, I have a question because it comes to, when it comes to children with ADD, ADHD, um, a lot of these, um, you know, either w- w- whether it's autism, I feel like 
brain health is very much linked to what they eat and what the nutrients that they're take what that they're taking. But my question is, if a child is extremely sensory, and obviously OT helps, you know, giving them more of a sensory environment, like helping them with their sensory um, concerns. Mm. If they don't eat these types of foods and pet parents that do have major struggles with getting anything into their child's um, system, you know, some parents are like, my child will only eat bread and peanut butter the whole day. They will not eat anything else. Would you suggest then that a child does need to be tested for what what is lacking and what needs to be supplemented? Yes, absolutely. So, so there's a few parts to that question. The one thing is definitely work with a doctor or a functional medicine practitioner or a pediatrician or somebody that you really trust that will help you look at the child as a whole and will really help you understand their nutritional needs and will do tests for you, whether it's blood tests, DNA tests, and will help you supplement where is needed. So as I said, don't go ask your friend to advise you on a supplement. Please do it under the guidance of a, of a doctor or a medical professional because it can get quite complicated and one chemical affects another chemical or zinc affects um, copper and copper affects zinc. It's really very complicated biochemical processes. So please do it very carefully. But yes, I do believe that there is benefit to supplementing with these things, especially zinc, magnesium, B12. Um, B12 is very difficult to get from the diet these days. So I think it's so important. And um, I've learned from so much that the B vitamins and the zinc have a huge effect on on your memory, on your concentration. You know, I was I had a discussion just yesterday with a homeopath about how when I was in school, I literally could not concentrate in certain times. And I realized it was the foods that I was eating only years later that I realized. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very important talk that we're having to explain to parents out there that you know, brain health is very linked to our environment, to the foods that we're eating. And if a child is struggling in a school environment with their friends, with, you know, reading, there's a lot more to it. And just one more thing quickly before the ad break is that supplements can actually even sometimes improve the effectiveness of the medication that the child is on. So we can't even, we don't, we don't have to say that they're mutually exclusive. In fact, one child that I'm currently working with is on concentration medication and the the pediatrician has put him on a folate supplement to help improve the effectiveness of it so it's well a lot of the time these kids are on those medications that actually deplete you of more vitamins so how much more so correct right so it's really more like a nuanced approach of understanding from a holistic um you know way of like why is my child where he is today and how can i maximize it on 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 various levels, like on you know on a much more broader level than just well he has the medication you know and mm. and, and hopefully that 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 will work. Um, this is one hundred one point nine High FM, and we're just going to go for a quick ad break. This is the Healthy You Wealthy You Show with Adol Kasulski and Fagy Stern. With two minutes left, Nissi, what what parting message would you like to give our listeners? Wow. Um, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm trying um, to create, keep it loving and sweet. And <laughs> we won't ring any bells at the end. <laughs> Great. Good to know. Um, there's so much more, more to say. I don't actually um, do formal consultations because I'm still at Bella Vista full time and I absolutely love it. And I also have a very active 16 month old. So at the moment I'm not doing consultations. Um, however, there are, uh, there are amazing resources and authors and, um, 
doctors and neuroscientists who provide such wonderful information. And I'm going to give Fagian Adol a list that you can then pass on um, to people who want to read up more. And just to say that, you know, we can't, we, we, for ourselves, for our children, we're never going to achieve a state of perfect health and balance. That's a myth. And we're just going to set ourselves up for guilt and disappointment if we try to achieve that. The key is resilience. We want to give our children the foundation to be able to cope with stress or with unhealthy food because they are going to have birthday parties and yontif and they're going to be eating junk and that's absolutely fine. But if we have a daily routine where at least they're getting nutrients in, they're getting movement in, they're sleeping well, they are having good quality connections with friends and family and the outside world, then they will be resilient enough to be able to have the junk food every now and then and the treats. And that's all also part of the enjoyment of life. So we don't want to stop that either. Um, so yeah, we're never going to achieve a, you know, a perfect balance with our children. And we just want to try our best to have small little steps in our day to day life that encourage a healthy routine and, and resilience. I think very a very powerful message and a very balanced message, even though I do agree with you. I've like tried to chase chase balance my whole life and it doesn't yeah. work. I'm, I'm yeah. into juggling. So when you know one side's down, then just you know bring the pendulum back again and, and move the other way. Thank you very much for taking your time and joining us on the Healthy You Wealthy You show. I've certainly learned um a lot and you know I think it's it's important for 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 for, for people to understand that uh you know today we are responsible for our health for our personal health, for the health of our family, particularly for our children. And that, you know, we need to stop doing a disservice to them by just like kind of like putting plasters on symptoms and thinking they'll go away, that we just actually need to think more broadly. And I think exactly. you brought that across uh, across a lot. So thank you very much for joining us. Peggy, as always, it's been great. It's been a lot thank of fun. Thank you so much. Always love yeah. learning. Thank you so much, Nisi, for everything. Thank you. And thank you to to our listeners. If you want a topic or you want to um, us to discuss something, we're here for you. Other than that, we will see you next week. We've got a very exciting show on essential oils, so don't miss it. And in the meantime, have a beautiful, healthy week ahead. Thank you.